0: that says, and all God's people said, amen. Well, some of them did. But that's not all that it says. It's actually says that all God's people say, Amen, praise the Lord. Now, if you have been blessed even to the 10th of how I have already been blessed with the services that we've already had today, you're ready to say, Praise the Lord, Amen. So, therefore, I'd just like for us to go ahead and say amen, praise the Lord, and if that doesn't make you say glory, I don't know what would, so let's just throw that on, and let's give all three of those. Would you do that with me? And all God's people said, amen, praise the Lord, hallelujah, glory. Now, I want you to pick out your favorite expression of those, and you give yours what I give mine. Let's see what it sounds like. Are you ready? And all God's people said, hallelujah. I like that. You guys bless me. Thank you very, very much. Have you ever considered all of the paradox of the cross? I preached a whole series of sermons one time that was the close on Easter Sunday morning. And as I was considering that, I decided just to throw all of my attention on the cross. And as I started thinking about that, I started realizing all the paradox of the cross. For example, the cross was an instrument that was created for death and thousands of men died on the cross. But there are people here today that can testify, I found life at the cross. The cross is a symbol of hate. If you want to know how much that man hates God, all you got to do is just look at the cross. If you want to know how much that God hates sin, all you got to do at the cross. And yet the cross is also a symbol of love. If you want to know how much that man loves his sin, just look at the cross. If you want to know how much that God loves the sinner, just look at the cross. I want you to turn your Bibles with me to the book of John, chapter 12, verse number 32. Book of John, chapter number 12, verse number 32. Because in this text, we're going to see another paradox of the cross. And I want you to listen to the exclusiveness that we find in this verse. There's something very exclusive about the cross. But also I want you to see the inclusiveness that we find about this cross. Jesus is talking, and he said, And I, if I be lifted up from the earth, will draw all men unto me. That's your Lord in prayer. Father, I pray that you're just blessed this service this morning by blessing your word, even as it has been given to us in music. Now bless it today as I try to proclaim it. For I pray this in Christ's name. Amen. We know what these two words mean, exclusive. We know what something is, if it is exclusive. When one that I was celebrating our second wedding anniversary, we were in Fort Worth where I was trying to go to seminary. And I remember that I wanted to take her to a special place to really honor our second wedding anniversary. They have a restaurant there that was known as an exclusive restaurant. So I took her to the exclusive restaurant. We parked our car in their exclusive parking lot. We walked through their exclusive doors. We sat down in their exclusive chairs. We looked at their exclusive menu. We looked at their exclusive prices and then we got up and included ourselves right out the door. (laughs) That was not a part of our world. We wanted it to be, but we very quickly saw, no, that it's not a part of our world. And yet we know what it is to be inclusive, don't we? To be included. One of the most amazing things that I have experienced in all of these years of trying to be a preacher, and I've been preaching now for over 68 years, and one of the most amazing things that I have discovered in all of these years of preaching is the inclusiveness of God's people. We can go to a church where we've never been before, nobody knows us, we don't know anyone, and yet before the revival is over, we feel like that we have been included into their family, and we feel like that now they have accepted us, they have included us. Now, I wanted to look at this text, because in this text we see the exclusiveness of the cross. And I, if I be lifted up, but we also see the inclusiveness. We'll draw all men to me. Look, first of all, at the exclusiveness of the cross. There's something very exclusive about this statement. Now, there's a lot of statements in the Bible that are absolutely true, but they're not exclusive. Pharaoh said, I have sinned against God. Was that the truth? Absolutely. Was it exclusive? No, sir. I can make that statement and be just as true coming from my lips as it was when it came from the lips of Pharaoh. But there is something very exclusive about this statement. And I, if I be lifted up, there's a gospel song that the people know I'm sure. And I know I'm not quoting it exactly right, but it goes something like this. Just suppose God had searched through heaven trying to find one that would be willing to go to that cross to die for you and me. Just suppose he had searched through heaven. Dear friend, what if he had done that? What if God said, I'm going to find someone to go to that cross to pay the price for the sins that people have done? I'm going to look through heaven until I find somebody that is worthy to go to that cross. Who would really he possibly consider? What about Abraham? Abraham qualified to be the father of the children of Israel, but he didn't qualify to be the redeemer. What about David? He qualified to be the king of Israel, but he didn't qualify to be the king of kings. What about Jeremiah? The weeping prophet, yes, but he couldn't be the bleeding Savior. There's only one, and that one is only Jesus Christ. What an exclusive man. His birth was totally exclusive. No one has ever been born like the exclusive Jesus. Nobody has been born of a virgin except Jesus Christ. Without an earthly father, he was born in a virgin birth. Something very exclusive about this man Jesus. Look at his life. No man has ever lived a sinless life except this exclusive Jesus. Look at his death. No man has died. Like Jesus, there's something extraordinarily exclusive about this man called Jesus. And so look at the the statement. Only one could have said, and I, if I be lifted up. But also look at the statement itself, if I be lifted up. And every person who heard that knew exactly what he was talking about. We've always had our figurative speech concerning execution. Back in the old days when they used to hang the the criminal, we would say, he's going to swing. Then when he had the electric chair, we'd say, he's going to fry. Now we say he's going to get the needle. In other words, we've always had figurative speech. When Jesus said, when I would be lifted up, everybody there knew he was talking about the cross. He was saying, when I go to the cross. And then to make it even more exclusive, he says in the book of John, when you have lifted me up, and he was talking to the Jews, and every Jew could have possibly said, this man is crazy. The cross is a Roman execution. They don't permit a Jew to crucify people. We have to do it the old-fashioned way. We have to pick up a rock and knock their brains out. We can't put them on a cross. That's Rome. And he is saying, well, we have crucified him. But Pilate, when he saw that he could avail nothing. He washed his hands and he turned Jesus over to the Jews. Oh, they used the Romans as Aaron boys to do the task. But it was an exclusive manner in which he went to that cross. But it wasn't just the Jews that crucified Jesus. It was every one of us that drove the nails through his hands and through his feet. Every one of us are just as guilty of the crucifixion of Jesus as that Roman soldier who took that hammer and drove that first blow upon that nail. We all have been guilty of the crucifixion of Jesus, but Jesus was very exclusive when he said, when I am lifted up, when I go to that cross. When I was about 13 years of age, I was sitting on the front pier of my little country church where I was a member, looking at my brand new Sunday school quarterly, and it was such an awesome picture For it showed the boy Jesus being about my age, standing in the doorway at the carpenter shop, stretching out his hand and stretching, and behind him, as he looked into the sun on the horizon, behind him was the perfect form of the cross. That artist had gotten the correct picture. It doesn't matter where we find Jesus in his life. Look at the night that he was born. See the shepherds as they're running from the hills heading towards that manger. See the fading glory of the angels. See all of that moment and look far enough and surely there's a shadow of the cross. Look at Jesus at the age of 12 in the temple. See the glory of that beautiful temple. But there is a shadow of the cross. Look at his baptism. Look at the Jordan River. See the beautiful river. See the greenery on the river. See the blue skies, the white puppy clouds. But somewhere in there, there's that shadow of the cross. It followed him every day of his life until finally it cemented itself on a hill called Yagatha. And there on that cross, he died. Something very exclusive about that. He died. Have you ever realized how much that God risked in becoming human? God risked everything. If it is possible for God to commit suicide, this was the possibility of it. He said, Brother Ernie, what in the world do you mean? Simply this. The question that theologians have asked for generations is, was it possible for Jesus to have ever sinned and it divided into two different counts? One said, no, because he was perfect God. The rest of us say, yes, because he was also perfect man. A temptation is not a temptation unless there's a possibility. I will never ever be tempted to jump out of a perfectly operating airplane in a parachute. I'll never be tempted to do that. Why? Because there's not the slightest possibility in the world that I would ever want to do that. There has to be the possibility, or else it is no real temptation. The question isn't, could he? The thrill is, he didn't. It doesn't matter. He was tempted in all manners, such as you and I, and yet never once did he sin. There's something very exclusive about the life of this one called Jesus and then something very exclusive about that death. But but my question that I would ask: Why was it necessary? Why was it necessary for Jesus to go to the cross? There are some who would say, "But well, the cross was Plan B. God intended for the Jews to accept their Messiah." And then when they didn't, he came up with the idea, well, I'll have a cross for him. No, sir, there was no plan B. There was only one plan. The cross was Jesus' destiny even before the foundation of the world. The cross was his destiny. When I was a freshman, I went to a Baptist college. Do you know why universities are known to have so much knowledge? It's because every kid that goes to the university goes knowing everything,
1: and then when he leaves
0: four years later, he realizes he's leaving knowing nothing, and he has left all of that knowledge there. And thirty years it just completely mate until finally it becomes all of that places of knowledge. Well, we young freshmen, we had the answer for everything. And I remember we preacher boys sitting around and had this deep discussion. What if Jesus had died some other way other than the cross? Do you remember when Herod wanted to kill him as a baby? Do you remember how that Herod sent his soldiers down to Bethlehem to kill all the boy babies? But God had already sent Jesus to Egypt. But what if Herod had been successful? What if instead of going to the cross, Jesus had died, being held by the angels as an old soldier had taken that sword and chopped him in two, and his blood had built there on the dusty streets of Bethlehem. Would that have been the payment for your sins and for mine?
1: Do you remember how
0: that his own city citizens wanted to throw him off the cliff in Nazareth? What if they had been successful and Jesus had died on the ragged rocks at the foot of that cliff. His blood flattered against the rocks instead of going to that cross. Would that have been the payment for your sins and for mine? Or we were just a bunch of foolish young men? Because there was no other way for Jesus to die. His destiny was the cross. It was not a painful or a pleasant thing he was looking forward to. I love our gospel hymns and southern gospel music, but one of them makes the statement that Jesus gladly went to the cross. Oh, no, friend, not in any stretch of the imagination. In that garden of Gethsemane, Jesus was praying with such intensity that his blood, his sweat, becomes as if it is blood. And the human flesh of him was saying, Oh, God, if it's your will, let this cup pass from me. But his spiritual nature was able to say, nevertheless, not as I will, thy will be done. He was not looking forward to what he had to endure on that cross. But why? Why the suffering? Why all of that? When I was a boy, I went to a little school called Lost Cane. Yeah, I was in Arkansas. Lost Cane. In Mississippi County, Arkansas, Lost King. Lost King had eight grades before teachers. Lost King had eight grades before classrooms. Each teacher had a responsibility for two classes or two grades, first and second, third and fourth, fifth and sixth, and seventh and eighth. I have no idea how those teachers were able to do that. But we did not have a cafeteria All of us kids had to take our lunches to school. I was a first grader. And a calamity of calamity happened to me one day. I forgot my lunch. And there was no way that you were going to convince this first grader that I could go all day without eating and not dying. So I knew that I was living my fast last day on earth unless somehow my older brother could help me i only had one brother he was four years older than me the only reason he was older than me he was born before i was so i went looking for older brother in that first recess and i found him i told him my dilemma and I'll never forget the look of love that my brother gave me, as he said, with a, verb, with a voice that was filled with compassion. No skin off my nose. <laughs> I started crying. He said, oh, don't cry. Let me tell you what to do. He said, when dinner time comes, go across the gravel road, go to Mr. Raimi's store. And then get yourself a bologna sandwich. Get yourself a soda pop. Get yourself an ice cream bar. I said, Bill Wayne, I don't have any money. He said, that's all right. You don't need any money. Just tell Mr. Raymond to charge it. I had never heard that word before in my life. I said, but I don't have any money. He said, you don't need it. Tell him to charge it. And so he helped me with that word. Charge it, charge it. I'd never heard that before. Lunchtime came. I walked across that gravel road. I walked to Mr. Ramey's door. I asked for my bologna sandwich. I got myself a soda pop, got myself a candy bar, and then Mr. Ramey, who by this time had grown to be 10 feet tall, looked down at me, and he said, That'll be 25 cents, boy. I looked up at him, and with a quiver in my voice, and with my knees shaking, I said, charge it. He looked down at me and he said, you are Liburn Perkins boy, aren't you? I said, yes, sir. He said, all right, son, I'll charge it. I got my stuff and started out the door not knowing what in the world had happened. I sat on the front porch of that little country store eating my sandwich trying my best to comprehend what had just taken place. All of my young life, I have been looking for magic words. At last, I have found it. If you know, charge it, you don't need any money. But of course, you know what I didn't know. Later on that week, my dad went by, and Mr. Raymond said, Liv, your little boy was in here the other day, and he must have forgotten his lunch because I had to put it on the tab for him. Dad said, how much was it, Mr. Ramy?" He said, it was 25 cents, and my dad paid my debt. Go with me to the Old Testament. Every time one of those little animals in the Old Testament were sacrificed, every time that holy man, be he a prophet or a priest, but every time that holy man took that knife and sliced the throat of that little animal, And the blood spilt out there on that altar. That holy man could have lifted that bloody knife towards heaven and could have said, charge it, God, charge it. Because, friend, the blood of bulls and the blood of sheep could never pay for the sins that you and I have committed. All it could do was just put it on a tab. Charge it, God, charge it, God charge it, God, And then one glorious day, Jesus Christ went to the cross and he paid it all. Every sin that had ever been done from the Garden of Eden until time is no more. Every sin you have ever done, every sin I have ever done, was paid for when Jesus Christ went to that cross. That's the purpose of the cross, was to be the sacrifice that was needed for the payment of sin. But what is the payment of sin? The wages are the payment of sin, if death. And Jesus paid that price for you and me. Ted, Hunter, Turner, Ted Turner, had made the statement, I don't need anybody to pay my way for me. But Ted Turner, with all of your millions, I want to tell you something, son. Uh You can pay the price for your own sins. You don't have to accept Jesus' payment. You can pay the price if you want to. But Ted, it's going to take you an eternity in hell To do what Jesus did for you on the cross. And for all eternity in hell, you'll be privileged to shake your fist towards heaven saying, I'm paying my own way. Jesus paid it all. And then the results of that, I will draw. All men unto me. Brother Ernie, do you believe in election? I sure do. Now, who was elected? Whosoever will. God's invitation is to the whosoever. How in the world can that be an election? Very easy. Wanda was dating several of us our single year of college. But two of us had fallen in love with her, A.G. and I. And I remember that because A.G. had told me about it later. He said, Ernie, before you asked Wanda to marry you on a Thursday, I had asked her on the Saturday. He said, I'd been asking her for three months to marry me. So on that Saturday, I asked her again. Now, what is A.G. telling me when he told me that? Ernie, I had elected Wanda. Or A.G., had you elected her for a purpose? I sure had. For what purpose had you elected her, A.G.? I had elected her to be my wife. Not only was there a person in his election, there was a purpose in his election. The problem was, she didn't elect him. I asked her to marry me the next Thursday. First time. Praise God she elected me. Are you elected? Absolutely. Are you elected for a purpose? Absolutely, that you can be the showcase of his workmanship in you. The question isn't, have you been elected? The question is, have you elected him? Have you accepted him? The offer is given, but have you elected him? In our travels, we have come to realize these facts. Number one, our home state where both of us were raised, Arkansas. We haven't lived there now for many, many years. But it was our home state. But we have come to realize that out of all the states, Arkansas is considered an inconsequential little state. We have come to realize that in the state of Arkansas, Mississippi County is considered a little inconsequential county up there in the northeast corner. If you go to Mississippi County, you would consider that Lost King out by the floodway, miles from the nearest highway, is a very little non significant community. If you could have gone to that community over 70 years ago and would have said, Do you know where the Lib and Perkins family live? they could have told you, Yeah, I live as a chaircropper down on Mr. Vashbinder's place. A very non-consequential family in our community. Liburn is the community of grunt, a matter of fact. Oh, tell me about the family. Well, there's Joe, his wife. And then he had two very common, non-important boys. Better Wayne and then there's a little one called Liburn Ernest Perkins, Jr., But what about Libanon? Well, he's a little non-consequential kid, has a hearing difficulty, taught funny, very few people understand him, small for his age. But one day, God sent the Holy Spirit out of heaven, and God, the Holy Spirit, found that inconsequential state, that little forgotten county, that little backwood community, that little small family and found that that a nine-year-old boy who had only been in Sunday school two times my entire life, before as I could remember, but who sent to a temp revival, and now that camp revival realized for the first time that things were not right between me and God. Had no way of knowing how to get it right. But I began to listen to a radio preacher every Sunday morning which I'm so glad my mom and dad let me do because we didn't have electricity and we had to use the old battery radio. And we were very selective of how much we used that battery radio. But that let me listen to that preacher every Sunday morning. And one day at the age of nine, out in the corn crib, when I was chucking corn to feed to our hogs, Jesus Christ came to my heart. And there, He included me because I included him. Have you ever included Christ? He wants you. Have you said yes to his proposal? Have you said yes to him? Brother Jim, would you come and stand by my side? Now listen carefully. Because I'm going to tell you today, what I want you to do. Today, I'm going to ask you to let your prayer of accepting Jesus be in the form of an action demonstrating what your heart is saying. Now, how am I going to do that simply this way? Jesus Christ is the chief, the main pastor of this church. But he has an assistant pastor. And the assistant pastor is Brother Jim, right here, working under the Lord Jesus Christ. There's no one else in this church today that can better, right now, illustrate Jesus Christ better than Jesus' assistant pastor, Brother Jim. So just in a moment, I'm going to ask you to bow your head. And with heads bowed and with our singing group, would y'all sing our invitational hymn for us, just as I am? You know it by heart, I'm sure. And uh, as they were singing our invitational hymn and as people are praying, if you have never accepted him, I want you to come. And I want you to take your right hand. Just look at your right hand for just a moment. Just look at it. This right hand represents everything that I am. It represents all of my greens. It represents all of my goals. It represents all of my assets. It represents all of my handicaps. It represents all of my talents. It represents everything that I am. And I want your right hand to represent everything that you are. And if you have never accepted Christ as your personal Savior, While our group is singing that wonderful hymn, Just as I am without one plea, but that thy blood was shed for me, O Lamb of God, I come. I want you just to step out where you are. I want you to come to Brother Jim. And I want you to take that which represents your life and put it into the hand of the one who is representing Jesus. And by that, letting your actions say what the words of your heart is saying, and that is, Lord, I am surrendering my life to you. Everything that I am or ever hope to be, you have a right to claim from this day forward. I am surrendering my life to you. Put your life in the hand. God the blessed Lord, while we stand as Christian people are praying, and in your heart you know that you need to come to the Lord. You've been thinking about it for a long time. Then right now, what God is calling, come, 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 come. You've been thinking about it. You've been thinking about it. It's something you say, I'm going to do one of these days. Then right now, while God is calling, over here on this side, God is calling you, sir. One of these days, I'm going to do it. If he loves you enough to die for you, can you be a man enough to live for him? Come now, what he is calling. Here in the middle, what God is calling, can you come even now? While God is calling here in the middle, can you come? What he's calling, can you say yes to him? Bring that light. Put it into the hand of the Lord right now. Over here on this side, where God is calling. Could you and would you come now and say yes to the blessed Lord while he is calling? While he is calling? What he is calling? What he, is calling? he, is calling? he is calling? Come now. What he is calling? Just as I am, Lord. Not as I wish I were, could be, or used to be. But Lord, just as I am. Just as I am.
1: He's calling.
0: He's calling. Thank you, God. Look at me for just a minute now. In 68 years of preaching, Brother Ernie, how many people have you talked to one-on-one about the gospel, encouraging them to accept Christ? I have no idea. But I can tell you one thing. Everybody who said no, almost without exception, used the very same statement. And I bet you, Brother Jim, to verify that it happened in his ministry too. Almost without exception, the person would say, I'm just not ready. More than any other one statement, almost exclusively, that has been the statement, I'm just not ready. Do you know what the one statement that I've heard more than any other right after a person has gotten saved? The one statement that I've heard more than any other right after a person got saved is this. I don't know why I put it off so long. I heard a nine-year-old boy say that one time. (laughs) Now, look at those two statements. I'm just not ready. And then when he gets saved, what does he say? I don't know why I put it off so long. Do you know why you put it off today? You have accepted a lie from the devil. That's the main reason. Whether you realize it or not, you have accepted his lie that says, you've got plenty of time. If there's something you want to do, sure, you're going to do it one of these days. Everybody ought to get saved. But you've got plenty of time. You're just not ready. No, sir. We're going to sing one more stanza. It takes approximately 40 seconds to sing a stanza of Just As I Am. As God calls, I invite you to come. And we all will join this beautiful creole and join them to sing the first stanza of Just As I Am. Let's do it all together and please reconsider. You've already said no. Please reconsider and say yes while we sing the next. And last and then I turned it over very chim. Come now. Come now. Come now.
1: Come. 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 Come.
0: Thank you. I'm turning services over, Jim, but I want to do something that you've been trying to do for the last 10 minutes. You've been trying your best to look at your watch, but you didn't want me to see you do it, so therefore you <laughs> every week's way. So I want you right now, to it, go ahead, and look at your watch. Everybody, look at your watch. Now, my watch has about four minutes past 12, okay? I want to make a promise to you. I'm going to be preaching another four times, I believe. Now, listen. I promise you, I will not keep you past 12 in any of the other services. (laughs) Pastor, I turn the services over to
1: you.